a vote for the Constitution is really a commitment to those five pillars. The most important aspect is Dow continuity. That debate where we're governance designers, right, or, or architects, yeah. I don't know how you want to call it, but delegates or these new entities that are floating around. I'm Cameron O'Donnell, a Dow governance strategist. And I'm Lawrence Smith, a DeFi and Dow token builder. Powered by Boardroom. Quick disclaimer before starting this episode. From a professional capacity, we do serve as delegates within the Maker Protocol, although we will be abstaining from this particular MIP MIPSET. Hey, Lawrence, what's going on, man? Uh, super exciting week in governance, especially around the Maker front. Yeah, definitely. And quite a bit of attention with the constitutional concerns from the Maker community. In that episode, we had two stakeholders who were, I think it's fair to say, less in favor than the guests that we're going to have on today. And we wanted to paint both sides of the picture and, and give an unbiased, holistic view of the constitution and how it fits into the end game as a whole. So we're diving into speaking with Juan and Retro, MakerDAO governance specialists, discussing the constitution, its role within the pre-game, the initial steps of the end game, and then diving into the actual end game proposed by Rune, why they're advocates for it and how it helps solve some of the challenges that they've been encountering in their day-to-day -day work on MakerDAO. Um, and I think these sort of challenges with them being so in the weeds of all have really made them think that this is absolutely necessary to go forward to make it continue to grow. Otherwise, they're a little bit of a stalemate. What do you think? Exactly, right? It's important to note that uh, Retro and Juan are both core facilitators within the MakerDAO working on this day in and day out. And so as we'll talk about in the episode, you now they're just so very close to a lot of these concepts uh, you, you know, in a lot of the problem spaces that the end game that tries to solve. So to intro Retro and Juan, Retro joined MakerDAO shortly after the Maker Foundation was dissolving to help scale the Maker ecosystem. In a prior life, you could have found him observing the value of creating consistent processes, frameworks, and enabling them with tooling in a diverse global industry. His main area of focus at MakerDAO is governance design research, building, implementing, and supporting. Sounds perfect for this episode. Our other guest, Juan, discovered Web3 and DeFi by accident, started to contribute to MakerDAO, helping to decentralize the organization from scratch. He has various experiences decentralizing companies across the board. Juan is actually involved in several DAOs, trying to learn as much as he can to help build the next generation of Web3. Quick shout out to our sponsor, Boardroom, for providing us with support, data, and governance intelligence, allowing us to complete this episode. You can track this vote and all maker votes on boardroom.io, linked in the show notes. All right, and we're joined with Retro and Juan here. Guys, how are you? We're doing great, quite excited by everything that's been happening. Lots of work, but uh, yeah, very optimistic about what's coming. Little sleep deprived maybe, but very excited and, you know. And so guys, obviously the topic today is MIP 101. However, I think we're going to take a more holistic approach uh, given your backgrounds and really try to dive into where all this fits in to this thing we call the end game plan. And so I'd like to start with your view of the Constitution 
and how that fits into the end game. Yeah, happy to take it. Just a, a couple of nuances to add to the conversation. There, there's two different things. One is the end game, which is the, the vision and where we're trying to get. And the other one is a pregame, which is a bit what's being voted on right now. And it's this transition phase where we try to figure everything out. We try to work out the details. So there are do, do those two different stages that are important to, to differentiate, to make sure that we're not going crazy about it. And then how the constitution fits into the whole end game plan. So there are different problems that, that we have been trying to address for the last couple year and a half or two years, depending when or, or how pessimistic you, you were about the, the current status of Maker. And, and yeah, with, with that being said, Endgame is, is a solution to these problems, right? So it's, it plans on addressing these this problems that we have identified. So, so we're, we're quite excited about it. And just to give a, a little bit of, of background about ourselves, we are governance designers at the end. So what we're trying to do is to fix different issues with governance. We have observed a lot. We have been working with Maker for a while. So we have been in the trench lines suffering and lots of tears and blood and we, we're excited to to tackle on this on this solution that that is we don't think that it's perfect right now it still needs a lot of work but overall we feel that we are covering all the spectrums of the, of the problems that we have seen just want to dig in deeper on a few things that you pointed out can you give some of our listeners what is the main objective here regarding the constitution and the end game and then also you did mention pregame and end game if you could just clarify those two aspects, that would be awesome. The objective is is resiliency. That's that's potentially the the key word. So Dai aims to be this universal currency, and I don't think we're there right now. I I don't think I will. We will find a lot of people that would say that about Dai in its current state or or what has been the past. So there are different things why why that was happening, and in terms of the problems that we have been identifying. So the organization is not not strong. So that's that's point number one. Point number two is, and we have seen this a lot, but it's this ad hoc attacks, lots of politics, uh, lots of pitchforking, lots of drama. So you, you guys probably are quite uh, acquainted with that. The third issue that we have noticed is that the delegates or the delegation system in Maker in its current form seems a bit broken. And well, the, this podcast is called Delegate, so maybe we can get deeper into that. And I'm sure that you guys have your own opinions. Fourth point is the, the MIPS, so the Maker Improvement Proposals as, as it is and its framework. It's also quite broken. It's hard to scale, how to, hard to repeat things. And the last one is the, the workforce, right? So the, that's the fifth point. It's the core units failing to deliver what the MKR holders want. Lots of running around, uh, lots of pet projects. MKR holders not having like a direct way of directing this workforce. All the solutions were very nuclear. So we either defund them and lots of drama or we just let them be and leave them space. So it generates a culture that's, that's not ideal for innovation and growth. Yeah, and I think that's an important segue then into your question about pregame and endgame. Because if we start to look at when maker token holders use the tools available to them, it became more of this confrontational middle management type relationship instead of being the leaders, the vision, the mission setters of the protocol. And when the Maker Foundation originally decentralized into the DAO, there were some principles that were voted on that were focused on being the unbiased global world currency of the future, which alluded to like these concepts of public goods. But Endgame specifically focuses on the public good concept and really magnifies that as the core purpose of, of Maker. And what pregame then is, is really first addressing is 
taking the workforce and the structures that we have today and saying, we're going to work on endgame. The, the terminology is probably something that, that we can clean up a little bit here. But pregame is really just step zero to say, we're working on this. We commit to this new perspective and path forward. So one thing I'm really curious about is this whole endgame process and the constitution and how that ties into the broader picture. Obviously, the constitution is just one part of the endgame. And are those steps laid out within the constitution, are they quite amendable? And do you think these things will go through many iterations before they reach a optimum uh, for the end game itself? So there's been probably hundreds of hours of calls. You know, people have been in various different capacities, but the underlying theme or or purpose of Endgame, as I understand it at least, is the concept of instilling the organization with these concepts of alignment, forcing some separation of concerns amongst the workforce separating the power amongst the workforce and the token holders, aligning incentives appropriately as well, and then wrapping that all with a purpose. So in my mind, a vote for the Constitution is really a commitment to those five pillars to, to install them into the organization. Some of the concepts and uh, about you know CVCs or, or delegates or these new entities that are floating around, it's really, you know, this is the first draft, this is the first starting point. And the analogy that I've been using is, you know, should we, should we stay with the, the horse or, or engineer a car? Should we, should we stay in this biological, you know, evolutionary type mindset? Or should we start engineering and, and building something that's a little bit more mechanical and purpose? built for the, the public good purpose. Just to, just to kind of reiterate there, right? I, I know some of the feedback we got, you know, regarding that prior episode is just how interconnected the constitution is with the end game. Just highlighting what you said there, Retro, on, you know, a vote for the constitution is actually signaling support for the overall plan. Again, noting that these things are fluid and they do change with community feedback that it's not just completed, finalized, and pushed through. These things, they have a process. It's a, it is a work in process, you know, e- even now into the future. Right. And, and we can get into, into each of the, of the parts of, of Endgame. So, for example, the, the Constitution is a big part, and, and it's, I, I think it's my favorite part. It's how everything has to be a framework. You can go to the example of the real-world assets. That's been quite dramatic since forever in Maker. I think there's a, a forum post, if you want to go dig it in Maker, where I literally ask for a framework for real-world assets. I think it's June 2021. But I'm, I'm basically saying, guys, I don't want to become an expert in real-world assets. We do need a framework. So this is like a repeatable process that can scale. After I don't know how many millions we put into real-world assets. We still don't have a framework where we can scale. Not long ago, one of the real-world asset partners, I think they, I, I don't know the specifics of the drama, but I think they, there was, the communication wasn't clear on how much they were supposed to withdraw at, at which point or, or the fees, something like that. Adding a little clarification here after our recording, what Juan is talking about is involving Monetalis, real-world asset partner. A vote recently passed to move the debt ceiling from $500 million to $1.25 billion, an increase in $750 million to its debt ceiling. Concerns were raised about the fee structure and lack of understanding in that fee structure from the Monetalis contracts. Not getting into the nitty-gritty, however, What Juan is bringing up is involving clear guidelines around communication and structure. And it was, again, a lot of pitchforking, a lot of uh, we should definitely, like, they are are not being fair. Um, Should we start nuking relationships because of a miscommunication? And because we don't have a framework, I don't know. I don't know how bad it is. Is it like red card 
we, sh we should never trust these people again? Or is it like, hey, guys, can we be clearer and communicate in a better way so that, that we can scale from there? And so that, that's why it's important. Like right now, we're having the wrong conversations around each little detail instead of having these frameworks where we can all discuss and be fair for everyone. So that, that's my favorite part about Endgame. It's like why like changing the conversation into what is good for Maker instead of you know, discussing each little thing. And one other thing to add into that as well, appreciating where we are in terms of the vote and some of the criticisms or comments around how this is going to impact the organization, you know, be disruptive. There was the opportunity leading up to this for over a year to start organizing the effort around documenting some of these frameworks. I believe there was originally a call for that around December just to start generating some ideas and, and not too much action happened. So even though this will be impactful and disruptive, it's almost a feature and not a bug. And I'm not an expert in the business. I'll leave that up to the risk team and, and the other core units. Like Juan established at the start of this call, from a, a governance design expert perspective, this is something that we identify as needed to really jumpstart the initiative to, to, to flesh out and align the community around developing the concept. The second thing I'm, I'm quite excited about is this, this new concept or new I don't know, you can call it experiment if you want, or of CVCs, which are the constitutional voter committees. So if you want to be a, a CVC, you have to produce this position document where you explain what the strategy is. And this goes against, again, to, to the point that I was mentioning, where we were a little bit underwhelmed by, by delegates in general, because we were expecting that the market would fix these problems and that we would get better delegates with time. I don't know if the compensation was too low to get more experts or if it's just too hard to try to understand or, or there's not enough of a communication to get the experts there. But And just to give context, I think that delegates can be paid up to 144K per year, if I'm not wrong. So, so yeah, right now a lot of people are saying, hey, the delegates we get, they just come, they put in two hours, four hours per week. They just comment on, on, on what they're voting for and they don't do anything else. There's no structural challenging for budgets. There's no vision. There's no, there's nothing that guides anything. So arguably they're not producing the results that we want. And the counter argument is like, well, no one defined that. So, so maybe they shouldn't be doing that. And when you ask what a delegate should do, you get more answers than people in the room. That's one of the things that I'm excited for. It's that the CVCs now are the strategists. So they are forced to, to produce a document. Where, the, where, the, where there's a clear strategy for each of the scopes. And if you guys want, we can go into the, the 12 scopes. But, uh, but yeah, the CVCs will be forced to specialize. Right now, I don't think that there's any human almost that, that, uh, that can understand the whole MakerDAO because of its complexity. There's a lot of things that are being touched upon, right? It's, it's not only governance, it's also economics, it's finance, it's risk, it's legal, it's real-world assets, it's resiliency, it's infrastructure, it's software. If you understand all of these areas, you're probably working for yourself or, or in some crazy project as a CEO, you're not a delegated maker. So with these new frameworks, there are 12 scopes that actually allow people to specialize in it and contribute to a framework instead of, again, holistically attacking and pitchforking every single opportunity, thus stifling innovation. The way I'm interpreting it here from this point of view is that what we're trying to do here is to provide a holistic set of frameworks so that you know, a lot of the issues we see in governance, operations from an economic, regulatory, you name it, that there's some way to handle these as they come up. Uh, that's kind of how I'm, I'm observing it from that, from that point of view. Yeah, uh, I think you're hitting the nail in the head. It's, right now, there's this perceived complexity by people that 
probably have not spent enough time or people that want to attack the whole thing. And again, I haven't met a human being that can, that, that can be an expert in all the 12 scopes. So this, this is a bit of making the, the implicit explicit, right? It's saying we have 12 scopes. If you're an expert in any of this, please join us, come, come help us. We'll create this open framework so that anyone can judge it. And ideally, we can take it from there. So I, I don't know if I'm allowed to, to shield, but if anyone's an expert in any of the 12 scopes, please give us a call. We would love to have you and, and, and yeah, criticize and, and improve the frameworks that we're working so hard to, to get to a, a decent state where it's actually usable and we can scale Maker. 100%. And, and, and so just to dive in a little bit deeper on the structural governance aspect, right? From, from a governance design perspective, we mentioned the CVCs a little bit and the CDs. And, you, you know, in talking about that out with stakeholders, with various different delegates, even internally, we see that as a way to uh, have some level of separation of powers, right? There's checks and balances, but as well as focus on, on strategy and how to proceed forward with the DAO. I would love to dive in there a little bit into that problem space and to discuss, you know, some of the dilemmas or, or theories that's trying to, to solve. Yeah. And it, that, that's the constitution. When people talk about the constitution, it's, it's writing that down, exploring those themes and concepts and, and engineering that alignment, which would be the first point and the most important that I think is inherent throughout every aspect of endgame. When you talk about alignment, the couple points to really focus on are really like skill, abilities, a perspective from like more of a business perspective as well as ethos of what maker is or, or strategy, whether it's, you know, better fit to enter this market or this concept, clean money or regenerative money, something like that. When you start to dive in deeper to more of the structural concepts like CVCs and CDCs and meta DAOs, that's really talking about the separation of powers and separation of concerns. And a way to elaborate on that then is, is I look at the endgame plan as really defining the sort of like organizational operations of maker of endgame of, of the, the, the community as, uh, again, four layers where the top one is strategy. And that's set by the CVCs. Moving down then, once you have strategies, you have constitutional delegates. Constitutional delegates have to support two CVC strategies and creates this political layer where there's consensus seeking as well as outward reaching of pulling in token holders in order to have them become higher up in the system in terms of rank and, and receive more compensation. Then there's the execution consensus, then coordination layer, which is the the scopes and frameworks themselves. And uh, at first, I was really frustrated by this term because scopes, frameworks, scope frameworks. But it, it, the more disciplined you are with the language today, which I would say still needs more of a marketer's touch to it, it you have scopes, which is where the governance half of the organization plays, the CVCs, the CDs, and the facilitator concept. But then the the workforce, the metadows really rely on the frameworks, which is the output of the scopes. Scopes are enabled by funding, by experts. The frameworks are documents that are the rule book then. And then the last layer would be the execution layer, which would be the metadows that use those frameworks to facilitate the strategy. And, and it's this recursive system that has continuous improvement and some of the, the most mature aspects of organizational design that I think we've seen in re recent years, honestly. I like what you said there, especially compartmentalizing a lot of the responsibility with the scopes. 
maybe we can dive into those scopes. How about we actually, how about we start with with all the different scopes and, and some of the goals behind defining these scopes? I know there were some questions around how we actually landed at 12. I'd probably say, especially after this conversation, that um, again, we have to look at this as a work in progress, right? A work in progress that's being dealt with publicly. Yeah. And to add on that, right now there are 12. Potentially, if we see that a scope is way too heavy, we could split it up. If there are two that are very, there are a lot of overlap and, and, and the experts are, are in both, we could combine them. So why 12 is like, yeah, why not 11, right? Or, or why not 13? I, I, I think we started like mapping out the, the different areas where we needed experts. And then we decided that this was the good number. It's also like a, a relatively round number. So we can have in a quarter, like you can split them evenly, etc. Uh, not a prime number. Yeah, when, when you take a look at the things in Endgame that remain consistent, you know, that talks to that word that's been mentioned, ossification. So looking at the development of Endgame through that lens, we originally started with primary and secondary scopes with the original intent of having 80% dictated to the top primary scopes and 20% to the secondary. And that was more about enabling the organization to be innovative, support the things that the protocol needs, and then more of the supporting functions in the secondary. That's evolved from two into three and adding a tertiary layer. And then that's evolved into the language that we're using today, which is primary supporting and governance scopes. Going back to the complexity again, where we can look for these consistent themes, I think that really helps the understanding. That's, I really like the way that you phrased it, Aaron, and managed to put it into the structural levels. I think that makes a lot more sense from what I've been able to interpret from the Endgame previously. Although one of the challenges that I've heard pulled up against Endgame is the idea of this extra complexity that is now inherent in the system because of these different levels and the people having to report to each other and everyone having to have sort of a defined role and having to have people who are consistent and dedicated towards fulfilling theirs. Do you see this as a problem at all or do you think that there's enough demand and support within the maker community that it shouldn't really be an issue? I'll uh, I'll start by saying, do you know how core units work in and out today? <laughs> and I mean that a, a little jokingly, but when I first started, it was a, a, a very academic exercise to dig into the MIPS to understand how the organization worked. And I, I I think the biggest thing that caught me by surprise was the concept of an executive vote. Like some of the the joiners that started after, not even after me, but before I started, which would be in, I want to say September of 21, about six months after the foundation dissolved into the Dow, people fully didn't grasp that polling didn't execute on chain. Because a budget is voted in and approved, that doesn't mean that the stream is started. That happens in the executive. So when you talk about complexity, that it's already inherently there. I know Endgame addresses that because it, it, it the separation of concerns concept again, the CVCs don't necessarily need to worry at a detailed level about how the MetaDAOs are operating in every capacity. MetaDAOs are intended to be organizations in their own right that can do work and services for other organizations and entities. So for complexity, when you start to break it down into these separate subjects and just see how they work, I mean, it's like talking about how a large organization may have outsourced you know, vendors for certain aspects. You know that you're receiving a service from them. You don't know exactly how their legal team works or how their marketing or infrastructure works, for an example. Um, we are in a unique situation where we're developing this publicly, transparently, hosting hundreds of hours of calls to have these conversations. And it is still an exercise of brainstorming. 
So if you're expecting a well thought out plan or, 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 you know, something that is in its final version, that's not what this is, but we're getting there. For anybody who's done sales and has started to try to represent a new feature, a new product, it takes a while to really refine that message down to the elevator pitch. We're not there yet, but we will get there. Yeah, we have to add to that, right? So the complexity is there, it's just hidden. And what we see is that if a potential partner wants to join us, it's like, hey, first of all, you need to understand this very complex governance system. And second, you will be in the forum fighting with pitchforks, torches, and potentially arrows. So good luck. You, you, you kind of stifle the innovation from that point of view. And, and this is, I think, the part that we haven't touched yet, which is another one that I'm quite excited about, but it's the concept of uh, Tadaos. And when you look it up, the name has changed. And again, the parameters need to be defined by potentially the risk scope. If the metadata is on the real world assets, the real world assets will have a say as well. If it has to do with growth, the growth scope will have a say as well. So there are all these rules that each framework will provide so that maker is not at risk. But once that you do have those frameworks, anyone will be able to come and say, hey, I would like to have, I don't know, I'm, I'm already doing these great things in I don't know, micro lending in, in India, I would like to use Maker to do better and to, and to have this line of credit. So the metadaos are a way of doing that in a very, very simple way. And, and going back to Retrospoint, the idea is to have this complexity explicit so that each user can interact with Maker in the way that they want. So are you a strategy? Create a CVC or join a CVC. Do you want to work? Do you want? Are you an expert? Join a framework or a scope and, and and contribute to the framework. Do you? Would you like to be powered by Maker and and create your own business doing I don't know refi or making the world a better place? Just create a metadata. Here's the line of credit which we call D3M, and and go ahead help us change the world. And and for me that's a way of getting die into this position where we want it to be. And that's, that's what creates a full circle. So once that the complexity is explicit, that we have all these frameworks in place, we engineer this car, going back to Retro's example, we do have the way of just going far through this mechanism. And that's another thing with DAOs, right? Like usually organizations, when they restructure, they call consultants, they go into dark rooms and they come later, they and, and they say, hey, this is what we're doing. And depending on, on your position within the hierarchy, you get different levels of, of view. Right now, it's everything's being done in the open. So people are like, oh, it's, it changes too much. It's like, okay, should we communicate less? Because we are trying to improve. We're asking for feedback. It changes a lot because of the of the feedback. So we, we are open for that. But yeah, that's that's the, the DAO part of the communication. Yeah, I mean, I, I think one example, it's not a perfect analogy, but look at the acquisition of Twitter, how certain things were posted and, and shared and some things weren't. We're, we're just taking that to the extreme. Really quick, a quick follow-up on the uh, on the MetaDAOs and SubDAOs, as well as DAI, really. Some parties look at the complexity and say, well, this is complexity. And really, what I'm hearing is that we should look at the complexity, the openness, and say, this is thorough, right? To the MetaDAO and SubDAO, we're actually big fans of SubDAOs uh, splitting up the organization. We think it helps with scaling. You know, we, we believe it helps with resilience as well, right? So very similar viewpoints there. Do you feel like that would fractionalize a very strong community with a lot of participation that I would argue MakerDAO is at the forefront of? I think we're seeing the stress fractures from starting down that path, but we are 
again, designing a resilient organization. So it's almost expected that whatever we break along the way will be fixed. And and to talk about more about the vision about where we're going, because because again, like that's in my mind the most important important part. None of this is set in stone yet, and the it's been stated publicly over and over again that it'll take you know eighteen months for this to get right, maybe less, maybe more, and and it, it, that itself is a flexible timeline. Originally, when I first approached Endgame, it was about almost turning the maker core and then the credit system into more of an app store, right? Like you have a project, you need a credit line, you, you need some some fundamental value that maker delivers. Well, you know, some app stores charge a fee, there's terms and conditions, there's all these other, to use your language, the thoroughness about how that relationship works. But the challenge we have to navigate is that it's it's decentralized and it's autonomous. So the thoroughness, again, is cranking the, the, the dial up over the, just to highlight, you know, how this plan has been involved and appreciating the feedback and, and, and the bigger vision. What I see this really turning into now is more of an affiliate network, a, a channel partner sales, uh, something like, a, you know, a, a Cisco that won't sell to you unless you're one of their largest clients. They send you to a partner. That's what MetaDAOs are. Going back to alignment, you know, the constitution, it's built in that there's going to be better MetaDAOs to work with different partners. And all of that now is just inherent in the system instead of just expected or hoped. So I, I, I think it will be powerful once people start to appreciate it and see it develop so they can use it. But again, sitting as the governance experts in the DAO, it's hard to communicate that through the evolution of the plan to date. With Cameron before he joined, uh, we were talking about this Qmorphic applications. Right now, because the whole community needs to kind of agree on everything, it's extremely hard to to agree on on what DAI should be used for, what's the where makers should go, and I believe that these metadata will actually allow us to spin a lot of different experiments and different potential use cases that we are not even aware of today that could be extremely successful. So someone could come with this crazy idea that sounds risky, and then we can start with a very small D3M, and then if we see that it's successful, we just start spinning it up, and we might even I don't know, change a country or, or become the currency in that country. So I, I don't think we are even seeing the possibilities right now, but I'm very excited to see if, if there's someone that sees a use that we are not seeing right now and we can we can take it there. Pulling on that thread a little bit there, one of the things that I was really interested in is MKR Maker. You mentioned and its role within MetaDAOs and how it could potentially change. So one of the big concerns that both paper and code night flag was around the maker dilution and just having to print more uh, maker into the, the system in order to fulfill the end game plan. So inflation token supply isn't necessarily a bad thing, but it relies on this increased amount within the system. In this instance, it's quite a sizable one-off inflation. So I guess my question for you is, do you think that it's a worthy sacrifice in order to achieve some of the other benefits of the end game plan? Or do you think this could actually be a good thing for, for maker and MKR in the long, in the long term? Because these methodals enable new utility potentially for the token um, and perhaps increases importance from the system as a whole. So, and, and again, we can go back to the to pregame and endgame. Right now, this is a hypothesis we're running with, but it's not set in stone yet. So the idea is to have a tool to solve different things. And I think that the token emissions, the way they are being written right now, is to scale maker in terms of the, the token being deflationary or not. There is actually this, this dates back to a conversation that we had, I think around like a year or a year and a half ago, where it's like every time we mint MKR, it means that there's bad debt. So we are minting at a really bad price. And when the price is good and we should be minting, we're actually not, we're burning. So we're pretty much 
taking all the market risk where we buy when it's expensive and we sell when it's cheap, where it's exactly the opposite of what you would like to be doing. Usually companies hire treasury managers and, and whole finance departments to do that manually. Because this is a software right now, it's it's being done at the at the pos- at the worst possible times. So there is one of the scopes actually that will work on this mechanism. To sum it up, there is a scope that will will consider these things. It's like should we be minting this much? Should we be burning this much? How much? When? So all that is belongs to a scope as well. There are other common critiques about things that scopes should be doing. Potentially depegging from the USD and going into into other units of of currency. Same thing with stances. So that's a critique as well that we've heard a lot in the environment. For me, that's risk management. It's like, what happens if this happens? Like, what what happens if a USDC depegs? We've seen it last weekend. So I, I would like someone to explore these questions and not be like, no, 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 we should never touch these questions. If it doesn't happen, even better. If if we're pegged to the USD forever, let it be. That, and that's because it's there in the framework and it's the best route to follow. But if something happens to USD, what are we doing? We want to be resilient. We don't want to be caught in a situation where we would not like to be. So please, let's analyze these things and let's build a framework that's robust enough to actually be able to react um, in a very speedy way so that we can survive. I know we're coming up on time and we've covered so much here, again, to try to provide a more holistic view of the end game and the importance of this vote. And then and then closing it off, if there's anything we missed and, and you want to cover it here, whether that's about the vote, the community, your roles, you know, feel free to to jump in and, and finish it off here. So the, the call to action is if, if you're an expert in any of the scopes, please check the 12 scopes. If you're an expert, please reach out. We, we would love to have you and to pick your brain and and to make sure that we become more resilient. If you're a strategist and you want impact or, or, or shape the, the future of Maker, again, reach out. We can create this or help you like create this CVC. And yeah, if, you're, if you want to do something with DAI, I, I don't care how crazy your idea is, but please let us know because we will very soon get to a position where, where we can actually be able to, to help you in a way that, that, can, that can scale your project. Right now, the best thing you can do to help the protocol is also vote. So go to vote.makerdow.com to use your maker. If you need help on how to vote, go to chat.makerdow.com, enter our Discord. There's a dedicated voting support channel uh, for you. I've actually been in there. I've, <laughs> I've, I've used that chat group quite a bit. Uh, well, guys, thank you so much for joining us. For our listeners, you can catch Retro and Juan on the forums in Discord, Telegram, and of course, Twitter. Check out the show notes to find their handles. Oh, that was a great call. Love speaking to both Richard and Juan there. Rounding it up, it was so interesting in the other side of the story from my perspective. And I know, Cam, you're, you're much more in the weeds than I am, but I wasn't aware of the inherent complexities that are currently in the system and the challenges they pose to scaling MakerDAO. And so I think the crux of what Juan and, and Retro were saying there is three key takeaways. Firstly, MakerDAO's governance process is getting to, already has gotten to, a near unsustainable level. Secondly, if the, proposal, if the protocol is to grow, it needs to segment responsibilities to become more efficient and stop being so bogged down with the bureaucracy that's currently inherent in the system. And it's through these sub-DAOs that MakerDAO will be able to develop their own frameworks and structures for particular use cases um, that best suit their specific offering. 
And I think in, in my mind, this is much more akin to a large-scale institution segmenting responsibility through business units. And so I see a, a similar um, sort of narrative here with the sub-DAOs. And I think the third and final point is they're completely aware that the proposal might not be perfect just yet. This is a means of sparking conversation because something has to change within, within MakerDAO. And it's to get others to contribute and suggest how to improve the DAO. And they're going forward with what they think is the best plan so far. That's one of the really cool aspects when you're dealing with DAO design, uh, you know, is doing it publicly through feedback, through calls, through iteration, right? And this is really what pushes the boundaries involving DeFi, DAO design, governance operations. And so you can catch this vote in the show notes. Uh, we'll link up to Boardroom and the voting portal. Uh, if you have Maker, it's really important that you go and vote regardless of what the outcome of this decision will be. Thank you to our sponsor, Boardroom, and for Retro and Juan coming on as guests. Until next time.